Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Dalis Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. Oh, I seriously cannot wait to introduce you to Martha Nino, mi amiga, mi hermana, mi mariachi sis, my NorCal mama Marta de todo. She was born in Mexico and immigrated to the U.S. undocumented as a child, and this had its own set of challenges growing up that you'll hear about in this episode. And despite the obstacles, she is a 25-year technology professional who has worked for large tech corporations ranging from mobile to hardware to software. She recently celebrated her 15-year anniversary as a senior marketing manager at Adobe. In her words, her path to tech was never part of the future, yet with the help of believers from different backgrounds, she is there. Like many, her voice and story were silent. Finding power, passion, and purpose in her voice has given her a reason to keep speaking up and writing. It's all about giving hope and a different, more human perspective to others. Period. Gettys Futhan. Recording because we're a vibe. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Buenas vibras. Buenas vibras. Yes. No, amiga, hermana. I, man, I, I feel so much love for you, and I feel we've never met. We talked one time on the phone, y una veces on LinkedIn. <laughs> but I remember you were one of the first people who reached out when I first came out with my podcast. When I first came out with Hello Latino, you were the first one that was like, "I love that you're using Hello." <laughs> Well, I grew up in Northern California, girl. So I was like, oh, my God, there's somebody else out there that knows this word. Because I have to tell you, growing up, every time I would say, oh, my God, I'm hella tired. I'm hella whatever. It was like, oh, you must be from Northern California. And I'm like, I got to tell this girl. That's awesome. <laughs> That's love. That's love. It's so funny because everyone's like, oh, are you from the Bay? And I'm like, no, I am from San Diego. Pero déjeme explicar. I'm from San Diego. But I feel like I grew up in the Bay only because like literally growth wise, like as a as una mujer, una señorita, like as just like a human being, the Bay Area helped me grow up because I estaba in un bubble here in San Diego with my family, the youngest, la chiquita, la, la menor, you know, and then going to the Bay, it was my first taste of independence. And yeah. I was there for like six, six, seven years. And I grew up there, like really like my growth. I attribute it to the Bay so much. And that's why I was like, I have to like give it a shout out <laughs> with this podcast because the reason I'm creating this podcast is because I had time to grow up and like be who I am and own my identity. And I thank the Bay for that so much. So the Bay, Latino. the Bay, will, <laughs> you know what, Odalis, the Bay will do that to you. <laughs> I love, I love the Bay. <laughs> We love the Bay. We love the Bay. Well, I'm super excited to have you, Marta. I 
I just feel so blessed. I'm like, it finally, I know, like finally it's happening. Finally it's happening. I know. And we've been but, like back and forth, right? And you've been commenting on my stuff and I comment on your stuff. And I'm just, first of all, congratulations on everything that you're doing. And I love that you're just yourself on everything. Like I listen to your podcast. I, you know, I, I listen to, to everything and I see your posts and girl, you're real and genuine. And that shines through every word that's written or said oh awesome modalis. more like you more like <laughs> you gracias <laughs> oh thank you that's love that's right <laughs> todo amor todo amor mm -hmm. thank you thank you well i'm excited to hear your story because we've been so connected we talked once a long time ago when all of this first started and i just knew from the very beginning when you told me just like a little piece of your story mm -hmm. i'm like oh my god I need to have her on my podcast and I need to know what this story is. Cause you already know, I'm really curious <laughs> all the time. I'm always like, I'm curious. Let's talk about X, Y, Z, but genuinely I'm so curious. So let's start, let's, let's start this conversation. Esta conversación con tu cafecito. I'm el ready. Chismecito, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with the first question. How do you identify and why? Okay, so I've been thinking about this because, you know, I, I see a lot of, hey, Latinx, Hispana, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Yo soy pura Mexicana. Like, that's what I am. I'm Mexican and I happen to be adopted by this amazing country, the United States, who has totally embraced me. Pero soy Mexicana. Ahua! Mexicana. <laughs> That's who I am. You kind of through and through. Through and through. And you know, it's interesting because I married a Colombian man and I have daughters. So, you know, what are they? Are they Mexolombian Americanas? Are they Calexicans? Like, you know, what are they? And I think that's where the term Latinx maybe might come through for them because, you know, when there's kind of a little bit of love from, you know, a lot of places, maybe Latinx, that's where it comes in. Everybody can select theirs, pero yo soy Mexicana through and through. Yeah. Oh my God, you married a Colombian? I did. I did. Es de Bogota. I've been married 22 years, girl. I was married when I was a toddler. Because you're so, <laughs> look at you. You're so jovencita. Inside out. So we it. like, in my casa, escuchamos rancheras, escuchamos cumbia, escuchamos vallenato, escuchamos de todo. De todo. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. Mexicana. And were you, okay, so this goes into your story a little bit. Mm -hmm. Were you born in Mexico? And then did your family, you know, talk to us about your immigration story and how you got to the Bay? Yeah. So I was born in Zacatecas, Mexico, which is the center state of Mexico. It's a large one. And um, I, I grew into poverty. My parents picked cotton for a living. And um, that's kind of what they did. They were very humble. They didn't have education. My mom uh, went to school till sixth grade and her dad told her she couldn't keep going to school because era una mujer. You know, girls don't do that. She had to prep for marriage. And um, mm -hmm. so sixth grade was all she had. And my dad, he only went to school till second grade. And by eight years old, he had lost both of his parents. So he was an orphan, you know, uneducated, met my mother and she married at 16. And, you know, a few years later, I came into the picture and yeah, we were just living there. And then my parents were like, oh, my God, if we keep living here, we're, we're going to be like dirt poor. We're going to be dirt mm -hmm. poor. There is no future here. So and the future was cotton picking. Like, I guess, you know, imagine like if I would have stayed there, what my life would have been. Right. But they had bigger dreams. And so they decided they're going to hire Coyote 
you know, the person mm -hmm. who smuggles you across the border. That's a business. Bien común. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Nobody really talks about this. It's interesting because I work with a lot of people who maybe are Indian or different cultures, European, and they're like, coyote, what the hell is that? And yeah, these are people who know the ins and outs of the border. And because we're so, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, you know, it's California and Mexico, right? It's attached. Um, you know, we, we just have to find a way to come over. And these people know the ins and outs of those border places, right? Mm -hmm. So they hired somebody, but they're like, no, esta niña está muy chiquita. She's too small to, to come with you across the border. My parents were going to walk along um, the beaches. Now there's many ways to get here, but um, they were going to walk along the border hills, the beaches of San Diego. And, mm -hmm. uh, and at night, shout out. shout out to San Diego. <laughs> What's up? I love San Diego, by the way. And um, they're like, but this little girl, we need to figure out a way to get her over. So why doesn't she pass as this person's daughter with fake documentation and you pass her through the, you know, in a car through the border. And then it's just hope that you guys reunite. And I mean, that word hope right there is big for me because imagine like you're, you know, imagine a mother, you know, I, ha I have two daughters. Like I can't imagine like my mom, like handing me over to a stranger and, you know, keeping your fingers crossed that we're going to make it okay. And, um, and kind of reunite. So, That was it. You know, we did fortunately reunite, which was amazing. We ended up in L.A. con una tía for a couple of days. And I had an abuelito here that had been working for a couple of years, and he was actually the one that recommended us to come to the Bay. And so that's mm -hmm. how I ended up in the Bay. I ended up in the Silicon Valley before it was a Silicon Valley, <laughs> which is a totally different life. So I ended up in this little little city called Fremont, Fremont, California. And it, within mm -hmm. that, within Fremont, there's different districts. And there was this one district called Niles. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Niles is a, mm -hmm. like kind of a, on the edge of the hill, one of the Silicon Valley hills. There's a creek, the Alameda County Creek. And my one bedroom home was there, one bedroom. It was a duplex. So we were attached to somebody else. Um, at which point we ended up living up to nine of us in a house. And I know you have a big family, so you can relate. So Girl, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I know. And it's crazy, right? But nobody knew, like in our case, that we there was so many people in this little house. Uh, one bedroom, like how do we sleep, right? Well, there's bunk beds, you know, there's the cocina, there's the living room, whatever. Uh, yeah, but yeah. to me, it was not a big deal growing up that way. I didn't know anything different. As a matter of fact, poverty here in the United States is so much better. It's a step up from, you know, poverty in Mexico. We had running water, girl. I didn't have running water in Mexico. I was from a dirt, like dirt, dirt floors, grass shack. Like there was nothing, no electricity here. I had electricity. I can watch cartoons on Saturday. What? I'm making it. I'm making it. So it's interesting because um, the perception of making it is different depending on where you come from. And so at that point in that one bedroom with nine people, my parents thought we were making it. And that's how we lived for 15 years. We lived for 15 years. It's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. So we were dirt poor and we we're dirt poor there and then we we're dirt poor here, but didn't think we were dirt poor here. But there was all these, you know, other issues that, you know, now kind of as an adult, an old, older adult, I'm like, oh my God, you know, the immigration was, um, there was a lot of fields here in the Silicon Valley. So immigration was very um, around everybody. There was these like mint green trucks that would come around. And if you had a little bit of an accent, like people stereotyped you. 
And there was only, this was not a melting pot. And I, by the way, I don't like the word melting pot. I'm like, let's be. I don't, okay. I don't either. Okay. I don't either. I'm glad you said that <laughs> because the other day I was listening to somebody and they said, I don't, you know, why they didn't like the word melting pot. And I'm like, dude, we're more like a, a chef salad. Like it's all like every flavor of us is unique. Let's make it that. We're not going to mm-hmm. blend. So anyways. Pues eso, right? That's, yeah. that's how it sounds like. It's like melting pot. It's like you are melting and you are just like assimilating. And that's what it feels like. And that's what I think a lot of people, that's why we go through a lot of identity issues because we're like caught between these two worlds and we think we have to choose. Yeah. Right. To be successful in either one. And I want to point out something because you mentioned something that I think is super important and it was about the coyote. No one really talks about it. Like that's a big thing in our community. And there's a reason why people don't talk about it because it's really dangerous. One, if you reveal who the coyote is. Mm And two is dangerous because it means you came here illegally. Yeah. You're exposing yourself. You're exposing yourself. You're exposing others. It's dangerous. I mean, you can, you know, bad things can happen. So absolutely. But girl, I've been here, you know, four decades. I have, you know, whatever. That coyote is probably dead. I don't know. But um, yeah, <laughs> you're like, let me tell you his name. Let his information. <laughs> Probably off No, no, no. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is kind of, you know, the underworld of stuff that happens that nobody talks about. And I think it's Mm -hmm. actually, um, I actually feel comfortable talking about it because it's a story of millions. It's so, it's so, I mean, there's a lot of people in my family who came like that. Of course. And there's, I mean, I mean, also thinking about it, San Diego, right? It's border between Tijuana and San Diego, right next to each other, Mexico and California. And it's like, that's, that's where we live. That's at least where I live. And so many people have to go through Mexico to come here, especially Central Americans. And just the immigration story, depending where you come from, South America, Caribbean, and like just the the amount of, especially when you don't have money coming to this country is such a process. And you also mentioned something that I think is super important. It's the poverty you had in the United States was so different. It was a step up than the poverty you had in Mexico. That's key right there because so many people, and I, I'm I'm like thinking about my own experience going to Guatemala and, and doing being with communities that were so poor and they were just so happy. Yeah. And one of them, I remember one kid had a phone and he thought he was so like big stuff. <laughs> he was like, like I have a phone from 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 Gringolandia, he said. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> I was like, oh, for real? And he was like, yes, I have a phone. Yeah, estaba todo feliz. And I'm just like, even even things like that, right? To them, that's like having yeah. having privilege yeah. is having a phone. Oh my god, because you have connect. Yeah, oh, so many things, Look, so many things. But I just I just think about that. That's a big thing that you just mentioned. Yeah. I don't think you even know. No. <laughs> okay, so that's a big thing. And guess what? I realized it was. I ended up so. Bottom line is, fast forward, you know, 15 years, and we finally get our documentation. There was a lot of process involved, and we can kind of go back, whatever. We went back to Mexico after 15 years. My family had not seen their family for 15 years because you couldn't. Because if you got out of this country, you couldn't risk everything you came here for. You came here mm-hmm. for freedom. You came here for a job. And by the way, you came here for a job that paid you three, $3 an hour. You didn't come here mm-hmm. for like no white collar job. You came here to pour cement, to clean, to, to do dishes. Like that is, this is, we, we appreciated that job. Right. So mm-hmm. um, anyways, you would risk 
losing that amazing job that you had already secured. Um, so they did it. So they did it. And I remember people dying. Like in Mexico, you can't even visit anybody who is dying. I remember, you know, you can't. So the moment that you leave that country, you basically leave your family for who knows how many years. How tough could that have been for, you know, my mother to have left her mother, you know, and all the different, you know, anyways, there's so much, right? But I, I we ended up getting our papers after 15 years of going through the immigration process. And um, we went, and I remember at the time I was like, what, 15, 16 years old? And it was the 80s and our hair was really, like my hair was super high. And I wrote, yes. and I, I, wrote I, I had like this fierce like eyeliner, black eyeliner and pink, bright pink lipstick, girl. I thought I was it. And then I got oh, to, wow. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I got to this place where I was born and I'm like, oh my God, there is nothing here. Like there was still dirt poor, uh, you know, less, less, um, the walls were made out of whatever dirt and grass and all of that. And I'm like, how am I going to curl my hair here? There's no electricity. There's no electricity. But I had kind of been tipped off and, you know, somebody had told me that. And I bought one of these curling irons with the, they're called like cells, like kind of a battery. So I was able to do that. But everybody there was like, oh my God, you guys have made it. You've made it to a Norte. You've been there 15 years. You have this cool curling iron and it's pink lipstick. Like you guys have made it. And, you know, the one thing I noticed uh, at the time, all that aside was, you know, all the little boys that were in this small town, their dream was to come to El Norte. That they're eight, seven years old saying they want to come to El Norte. They didn't have dreams of anything else. Their dream was to to be an illegal, you know, documented person, whatever it is, undocumented person. That was their dream. They didn't dream of being mm -hmm. a doctor. They didn't dream of anything. They dreamed of washing dishes across the border. That that struck me big time. That struck me big time. So that's why. Uh, and so the moment these these kids turn 15, 16, guess what? They're coming over here for the dream of $3 an hour and risking their lives across the border. And um, anyways, it's it's... It's a big problem. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's so big. And, and just thinking about this concept of immigration and how I just feel like everyone's trying to seek better opportunity, better life, and more, fulfilled, more fulfilled life. Like that's really all they're looking for. I remember, and I talk about this story often, but I remember when my dad told me about the way he immigrated here and why he immigrated here. But you don't think about that as a child. You're just like, we're just here. Right. Like we're just living, like we're just living life. I never once thought to ask my parents about their immigration story. That was not a topic that I ever thought about until I read this book in middle school about un salvadoreño who crossed. He went from um, El Salvador to Guatemala to, to Mexico through La Tren de la Bestia, which is a big train yeah. that runs from America to Mexico. And I remember reading about it and I felt represented. I was like, oh my God, he's talking about Central America, yeah, Hondureños. And then I remember telling my dad about it, super excited. Y dice, pues sí, like I came on that train too. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, you never told me this. And I remember my mom, she was like, no le digas a la niña. Mm. And she was like, no, she's, you know, ya está grande, she can know. I was like 11 at the time. And then he told me everything. And yeah. that was my first instance and my first exposure to how difficult it is for people to even come to this country. But I mean, like we, 
you know, when during a part of my life, like we were living in a two bedroom, one bathroom place with like nine of us in the house. And it was normal. It was. Yeah. No, I get that's life. We didn't know any different. I know. And I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I always tell people, because when I tell people that story, there's a sense of pity sometimes that they have with me. Like, oh, and I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm not trying to tell people they're they're wrong for feeling that way. I get it. But let me tell you something. I've never, ever felt like I was poor in those moments. I had everything I ever needed. Even though we were struggling with money and I, I was exposed to it, there was never a moment where I felt like I have nothing mm-hmm. because I had family. And to me, like, that's why it's so important. I think that's that's the beauty of Latinidad, right, is that we know how to just keep our family loved and keep our family whole. Aunque hay problemas, you know, there's ups and downs. There's some yeah. things that are problematic, así como todo familia. But mm-hmm. there were so many things where I'm like, I never felt like I had nothing, yeah. ever ever in my life. Yeah. I always, uh, yeah, same thing. I didn't know any different. So for me, that was life. Right. And I didn't, I didn't realize I was poor until I was a teenager, until I was a teenager. Like I became, you know, all of a sudden all the social stuff, you know, of being a, a young person came up as in junior high and junior high was horrible for me. Junior high was horrible for me. I got bullied. I, I had never, ta- I, I, you know what? I never have brought up that. I got bullied. Nobody wanted to be my friend. You know, people tease me about my clothes, my hair. You know, my mom cut my own hair. You know, she cut my hair. We couldn't afford anything. You know, in my bang, I wear bangs still, but, you know, they're nice now. But, you know, back then, you know, we did what we had to do to live, right? And and I became a little bit of a a loner, I guess. I could, I didn't identify with anybody. As a matter of fact, the, the whole switch into junior high, you know, all of the, the kids who had a little bit of money all of a sudden started dressing better. And back then it was the, you know, neon clothes and the British nights. And anyways, it was just a, a whole different era, the, you know, the Madonna era. And if you were not like that, then why are you not like that? And if you didn't look a certain way, then, um, you know, if you looked a bit, you know, nerdy or geeky or whatever, um, you were kind of outcast. So I went around to different groups and seeing if I would, you know, they'd eat lunch with me, you know, and it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing, but you didn't want to be the one eating alone. And, you know, I was a little chubby and I didn't have, um, you know, the look that a, a kid should have. And people would tease me about my, you know, $5 shoes. And I, I went around to the stoners and I'm like, Hey, hang out with me. You know, can I hang out? And, but that wasn't my thing. And then I went around to the, you know, the jocks and they didn't accept me. I went around to my own people, you know, to my own. And, and they didn't even, because I didn't look as cool as they did. They didn't accept me either. So junior high was really tough for me. And then I realized, oh my God, I don't have this fancy stuff, you know, whatever. But that that's when I started realizing, oh my God, I'm poor. I'm poor. So I was working at the time, at the time, 12, 13 years old. I was delivering newspaper because I started working when I was 10 years old. And my first paycheck that I got, by the way, I got $1 per newspaper per month. Okay. Every day after school, I would be like, Hey, so (laughs) I I was, (laughs) but you know what I did with my money? I would buy ice cream. Like (laughs) that's why (laughs) we didn't grow up with sweets at growing up. We could have, I mean, sweets to my household was a luxury, I mean, as a matter of fact, maybe watermelon. I love watermelon, like fruit. That was kind of our sweet. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I loved going to birthday parties because there was cake. So anyway, they have obviously a big sweet, sweet tooth problem and it's all psychological. (laughs) But yeah, my first paycheck, I would spend it on sweets. And, you know, eventually, you know, when I got to junior high, I'm like, oh, maybe I should spend the money that I have, uh, you know, on clothes, you know, to to make myself fit in. Right. So I did do that. I did do that. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I would try to buy the clothes and everything. But you know what? It's so hard. And I'm like, okay, I can't compete. And then people would make fun of my house because it was falling, falling down. It wasn't my house, by the way. I was, we were renting. My parents were renting. And um, as a matter of fact, we just, you know, it wasn't until the last, you know, 20 years that, you know, my mom bought a house, you know, but prior to that, we always have rented. And um, the guy who owned the house at the time, you know, it was during hippie, hippie era or whatever. He put, um, yeah, those ventanas, there was two windows and they looked like two eyes and he was a little loquito. And then he put like a, like a moon on the bottom of those, you know, uh, two windows and it looked like a happy face, but it remember it's not our house. So he can do whatever he wants with the house. And I remember like getting on the school bus and people are like, ah, that's Martha's house. Like it's falling apart or whatever. The smiley house, the smiley house. And it was, um, that was my house. So yeah, so I didn't know I was poor until people pointed it out. So sometimes it's better wow. not to know things, to be honest. Yeah, and, and how how was that for you though? How were you processing that? How were you navigating that? Realizing that you were, there was, there was po- poverty, right? Mm-hmm. You had poverty. Realizing you had poverty and this was like, how did you navigate that? Did you end up changing your identity? Did you just like own who you were? Did it change in high school? Like when did it, when did it shift? Well, yeah, so definitely. So anyways, got through junior high, got through high school. And then I started to kind of, you know, identify with other people. And I started kind of growing up, right? You you start to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself. But there was still kind of this taboo of, oh, the Mexicanos, you know, they're over there. And honestly, I was a Mexicana who actually, I liked theater. I liked I, I could have been, you know, somebody who did track. I love, I'm a good sprinter, but because I was a Mexicana, I didn't really fit into those groups socially. So I ended up kind of putting a hard exterior on myself. As a matter of fact, if you were to see pictures of, of me as a high schooler, made my, my early stage of high schools, I look really mean. I look really tough. Really? Yeah, I don't smile. You know, and now I can't stop smiling. But, you know, that was kind of just my way of protecting me from people because nobody was going to tease me again. Nobody was mm-hmm. going to tease me again. And um, I did, by the way, I never kicked anybody's butt or anything like that. But I sure as hell looked like it. And so did the people I hung around with. So I was given this, um, you know, they stereotyped me. People stereotyped me. Uh, and interestingly enough, during that time, I, I, I've been working since I was 10. And at 14, I actually went to go work with my mom at a warehouse. And every day from 14 on, I worked with her at nights at this warehouse. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. But she got me my first like real job as a warehouse person. And I actually was horrible at the job. I was awful. I was like, okay, this this sucks. I'm not very good with my hands. It it's a job that you had to use your hands a lot. I'm not very good with my hands. But the owner of the company, this amazing, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, white pearls, you know, fancy lady. She's like, 
you can answer phones. You speak English. Come on over to the office, you know, and help me out. I'm like, anything to get out of the office. I mean, anything to get out of the warehouse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went to the office and that became, it became like the first time that I was exposed to something different than like blue collar work. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Somebody has opened my eyes and I didn't realize that's what was happening at the time, but that's what happened. There was a whole different world that I could get paid for and be clean. Oh my God, I was hooked. I did anything she wanted, right? She's like, and one time she's like, hey, do you know how to type? I'm like, nope. She's like, is there a class in your high school that you can take? And I'm like, yeah. So I took a, so I took a typing class and you know, I was typing everything. Back then there was no computers. So I was typing everything and I, I became a really fast typist. And then I ended up working at that company for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, seven years. So I'm in high school. Let's, let's go back. I'm in high school. Nobody knew that I was working every night after school. I mean, some people do all kinds of extracurricular activities. I just worked. I worked to help my family. And, um, you know, during that time, my father got cancer and actually he was going to die. He was going to die. And my mom, you know, she was working at the warehouse. She couldn't get paid too much money. So um, I ended up continuing that. And I didn't really tell anybody that, but, you know, because I was working at night so much, um, my, my great, I couldn't focus on school. So work became a priority and it's actually kind of the life of an immigrant. You come here to work. And so in my mind, that's what you have to do. Nobody told me that, you know, I needed to start prepping for college, you know, as a sophomore, nobody told me that there was life, life beyond a uh, high school. Nobody told me any of that. And because there's thousands of kids at these schools, you know, unless you happen to have a good teacher or somebody who's guiding you, you get lost. So my first day of my uh, senior year, uh, I was kicked out of my high school. And by the way, I don't know how I didn't find out, but I went there like you're not supposed to be here because I didn't see my name on the list. Uh, apparently, they sent that notice to my mom, but my mom didn't speak English. So, uh, oh, wow. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they said she needs, she can't be here. Her grades are too low. She's missed too much school. She's been too late to class too many times. And uh, I ended up at a continuation school where there's gang members. There was girls who were pregnant. There was kids who were homeless. And that actually exposed my eyes to a totally different world too, because a lot of those kids became my friends and there was nothing wrong with them. There was nothing. The only problem was that nobody had asked them why. Nobody asked them why they were in the situation they were in. And it had, like the principal asked me why, like in my particular situation, he would have realized that I was working all the time. So um, anyway, so I end up at this continuation school and a few months later, the counselor sits down with me and he asked me why. He said, what are you doing here? And I kind of told him I was late to class all the time, blah, blah, blah. I got kicked out and I still kind of had this like tough attitude and he, 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 I could see it. I could see it. I'm like, oh my God, the tough girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, I was late to class, like whatever. He's like, no, why were you late to class? Well, I, I didn't, you know, I woke up late and whatever. And uh, he's like, are you doing anything in the evenings? Like, I'm all, yeah, I'm working. How long have you been working? Anyways, he kind of unpacked it, right? He unpacked wow. it. And then he says, okay, first of all, don't be embarrassed of that, right? But let's figure out a plan to get you out of here. And I said, how? I'm already behind like a year. And I don't know how he did it, but he says, okay, here's what you're going to have to do. You're working. Talk to your boss and see um, if you can make any adjustments to your schedule. Like, you know, we need you to focus on school, like double time. And if you focus on it, you know, in four months, you could be out here. 
And to me, when he said that, I was like, what? I can be out of here? That to me was a chance to do something different. And by the way, it was also a chance to prove to my school, to that principal, that he had made a mistake. And mm -hmm. so I don't know which one drove I can, me. I can say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that next semester, wow. yeah, the next semester I was back, I was back and I'm like, yes. So that kind of felt really good. And then, um, yeah, I graduated, yeah. I graduated on time. I graduated on time. Oh, it's nasty. You girl, <laughs> you did that. I you did that. that. You did that. Yeah. And oh my gosh, there's so much, there's so much <laughs> I want to know, but I want to transition into our cafecito and cheese only because I feel like this is a good way to, this is a good time to segue. Mm -hmm. So we're going to segue into our cafecito and cheese where it's all about what you're up to now and your your job, your passion projects, what you're doing. But I want to know the transition between you graduating high school and what happened in between to get you to where you're at now. Because I only know you where you're at now. The audience, the people listening, they don't know. They don't even know lo que haces. They don't. But you, you're a badass. Which is <laughs> like that's, nobody that's knows all it. I know. That's all I know. Well, you know, it's interesting because nobody knows us, you know, before our LinkedIn profiles, really, if you think about it. Nobody does. And as a first generation, first, you know, person, I feel like it's it's more important to talk about the whys because it makes us that, you know, it just makes there's a whole other story of things that we have been overcoming that we don't realize are such a value to anybody anybody right so anybody yeah and i think what a lot of people and i always talk about this this is whenever this is why whenever i go to schools or colleges to talk about my stories in membitan right to do a workshop i'm always so so real about every part of my journey the yeah. good the bad the ugly the todo because i remember being in those seats in college yo miraba la gente when they would come in and, and speak and i felt like oh my god these people have it all together i don't know if i'm ever gonna get there did they come from privilege? Like, that's what I always thought. I'm like, maybe they already like had these connections, but no one talked about their story. <laughs> Nobody talked about it. I was like, why? Why like, not? No one talked about the challenges. <laughs> well, you know what? I've always wanted to speak and I have, you know, I've been in tech 25 years and I've seen people speak all the time. Like, you know, I've seen people on stages and stuff and I've always kind of been in the background and I've sat in those seats, just kind of mesmerized of those people who are on these stages. And then I'm like, you know, I'm wondering, they, they look like they have it all together. Like, could I do that? They sound so cool. You know, they look, you know, a lot of them were very approachable. And I'm like, How, could I do that? You know, and then of course, I all the negative narrative comes in. I'm like, oh my God, no way. I, you know, if they only knew that I, you know, where I came from, if they only knew that I was in poverty, if they only knew that I come from a ranch, oh my God, the credibility would be gone. And, you know, I would, what mm -hmm. if I sound stupid? Anyways, so all this negative narrative comes in. And it talked me out of every opportunity that I had prior to one that I, I had two years ago where I had the opportunity to speak. But the that speaking opportunity was about myself. You know, it was a diversity conference. And I'm like, uh, okay, if I'm going to do this, um, I'm going to have to get real to your point about myself. And, and honestly, girl, when I found out I was going to do that talk, I was, I debated with myself, how much should I tell? How much am I comfortable? How much am I comfortable saying? You know, these people are from Yale, from Harvard, from Stanford. I'm from a grass shack in Zacatecas. What the hell? Yeah. Like I was, I was, I was risking everything. I was risking everything. So, hey, but once I realized that 
you know, you can be accepted because I have to tell you from that moment on, it's it's been 18 months now. It's been like nonstop acceptance hugs, you know, all of this good vibe when mm-hmm. as that are coming. And I'm like, that feels good. And that energizes me. And that just proves that being yourself and being genuine and just going for things and being 100 percent yourself at work and at home. That's that's the mm-hmm. sweet spot right there. That's sweet. Snaps, girl. Snaps. Oh. It's so, it's so. And no one no one teaches that. No one teaches that. And I no. think like everybody learns at one point, right? Where you can really be yourself. And the first lesson for me was like when I started this podcast, I'm like, everyone to me, everyone I've had on my podcast is so inspiring. Every single person, and lo que sea, trabajan en música, tech, corporate, wherever they work, whatever they do, it doesn't even matter. It's their story that I'm inspired by. And that's what I think more people need. Yeah. And that's why stories are so powerful. And um, yeah, I think that everybody has a story, right? Don't discount that story and dig deep into it. And I think people will realize that there's just a whole lot more than just the LinkedIn version of people. So even if mm-hmm. you're meeting people like to interview them or doing an interview, don't feel bad about sprinkling a little bit about yourself in there because that might be your differentiator. That might, and that's mm-hmm. just as Mama Martha, you know, um, person. Mama Martha, <laughs> Mama Martha advice. <laughs> hey, but let's go back to the. Um, you asked me about the transition from high school to 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 where. Yeah, what happened after high school? <laughs> After you, after you proved yourself to that principal, you're like, mira, con mi diploma. <laughs> oh, my God. So I, st- I kept working at that company with that amazing um, woman. And, you know, by that time, I was, what, 18 years old. And um, the Silicon Valley was changing. And there was a lot, all the manufacturing plants, like the one I was working in, were losing money because uh, there's manufacturing out of China. And that was a lot cheaper. So my company decided that uh, they were going to do their manufacturing out of Mexico, out of Nogales, actually. And they're like, Martha, you, you should come with us. You know the language. You can manage the you can manage the plant because of all of this. I'm like, oh, my God. They're like, you can live on the Arizona side. And then um, we manufacture out of Mexico. And that all sounded like an amazing dream to me, right? But what they didn't know is my father had just passed, passed away. And uh, my mom would have been alone. I had two brothers at the time, teenagers, and I I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. So after seven years or however many, six years, whatever it was, uh, I decided that I I couldn't. I said no, I couldn't go because I I needed to be with my family. There was this one manager there and he kind of, you know, he tried to kind of pick on me a little bit and give me a hard time. He's like, why are you not coming with us? You know, you could do this, this, or that. And he's like, what else do you know how to do? You've been here since you were 14. You don't do, know how to do anything else. And then he started being really, like, mean to me. And I was like, you know what? That's the first time I ever encountered this. And I stood up for myself. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And I kind of shut him up. And, you know, within a few weeks, uh, actually, somebody I was working with that also decided not to go to Mexico. He ended up working at a, you know, the places that make office cubicles? Like for companies, office cubicles, like the little uh, partitions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I worked there, so these people, oh. these people were delivering office cubicles to these new high tech, this new high tech uh, industry that was coming into the valley. So all of these mm. companies, so I was working there, and I ended up as like a receptionist or whatever, and then kind of worked my way up. 
as a, a purchasing agent. So I know everything there is to make a freaking cubicle in an office, whatever. I know how many screws it takes or whatever, but you know, they liked, they liked having me there and I liked being, being there. And that also became my first like lesson in networking because that guy said she can do the job, hire her, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I worked there and I worked there for like a year or two. And um, I got an offer to go work at another one of these office cubicle companies that was delivering cubicles to Silicon Valley companies. And for just a few dollars more, I left. And, and I should have never done that because the place that I was at, I, I was actually very happy there. You know, they liked what I was doing. I was respected, like, you know, Doña Marta, this and this. I'm like 19 years old, walking around in heels and a nice Doña Marta, okay. I'm like, oh, sea. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up in a very toxic environment. That next job oh, wow. was horrible. The The owner of the company would, um, he told me that my dresses were too tight, that my skirts were too short, that um, he actually had me fire somebody. And that was just kind of the you know, the nail on the coffin. And after that, I was like, I, I have to leave this job. And you don't leave jobs as a Latino sometimes. You appreciate them. Right. And I'm like, but am I going to stay in these toxic, this toxic environment? And for the first time I was without a job and I ended up calling one of these like temp agencies and I said, I need a job. You know, I, I just left mine and they said, well, we have this job at us. I, I heard sand company, Como Arena. It, mm -hmm. it, and they're like, it's like coordinator, receptionist type work. I think you can do the job. And I'm like, sand company, that's weird. Maybe I'm going to be in the machinery business. And when I got there, it was a sound company, like sound that puts sound in our computers. So techie, techie, I in, super tech. I, yeah, I got there and I'm like, oh my God. So I, in, so I accidentally, inadvertently, and I actually think it's fate, ended up in tech. I ended up in tech because wow. my phone, <laughs> because I had bad phone connection. And I'm like, because had they said sound company, I would have probably been intimidated. <laughs> but another lesson yeah. I think I learned from that was that uh, you didn't have to kind of check all the boxes. You know, I, I, I knew I could kind of do the job. So I went in there and I did the job and I was there for four years. As a matter of fact, I'm speaking to uh, the guy who gave me that opportunity uh, today, later on, after 25 years. So, yeah. That's crazy. And then, okay, so you were at that company and I want to know now you're at Adobe. Yeah. In case anyone listening <laughs> wants to know, Doña Marta <laughs> went from doing cubicles, went from continuation school to building cubicles to now Adobe. Everything is possible. <laughs> everything is possible. I, how did you get to Adobe? Yes. Yeah, so that transition of, and I don't, and I don't mean just like career wise. I just mean life, right? Like life. what was happening in life in the moment where you were like, how did you get from that sound company? Yeah. And, and I'm also just thinking I'm, my mind is going a million, like just <laughs> racing, but I'm also thinking you saw, you were in the Bay before it really became Silicon Valley. Yeah. And you were oh, in the inception of like, Silicon Valley, you were in the very beginning of it. Like known? that to me is amazing. <laughs> and you, and look at it now. I mean, now it's, that's, that's all I know. Personally. I know. It was weird. <laughs> so Silicon Valley back then, I mean, it was gladiola fields, cherry orchards, apricot orchards. Like it was, it was a beautiful green place. And then all of a sudden like buildings start popping up everywhere and um, you know, good and bad. Right. But uh, it started changing, but I was there from inception. You're absolutely right. And it, it, it's been really cool to kind of see it grow into that. And I was just there and I just happened to like you know weave my way into into things but 
um, from that sound company, I actually left after four years because I was seeing people kind of get promoted everywhere. And in my head, mm. I had it in my head. It's be because I didn't have a degree. Remember, like nobody talked to me about education. And I had been kind of sprinkling colleges here and there. And I knew nothing about colleges, to be honest. I knew nothing about it. But um, I'm like, okay, let me figure this out. So I sat down with somebody and they said, well, you have like 30 credits to do. And if you do these 30 credits, you can actually get a degree. And I'm like, oh my God, how long is 30 credits going to take? I'm working. Like I was traveling and I was doing all this stuff. And um, I'm like, you know what? I have to quit my job. I have to quit my job and I'm going to focus on this for six months. And I was recently married and they came as supposed. So I told my husband, Hey, I'm going to quit my job because I need to focus on getting my degree. And he's like, okay. He didn't think I was going to do it. And the next day I put in my notice. <laughs> You're like, didn't I tell you? <laughs> he's like, oh shoot. How are we going to, how are we going to do this? But I had no kids at the time or anything. So we figured it out. Yeah. So, uh, I ended up basically focusing for six months and I got 30 credits or 40 credits. It was crazy. Again, I went back to those high school days where I was just at school in the morning, school at night, school in the weekends, whatever it was. And I, and I got my uh, degree in business marketing. Uh, yeah. Business marketing. I have a BS in business marketing from the university of Phoenix. I just went because that was the fastest one I can get to. And, uh, I, I got it done. Um, and then another, actually an Adobe executive um, that's there now, she said she wasn't an Adobe executive at the time, but she's like, hey, there's this, there's this company that's making these really cool handheld devices. And that became, and, and this is before smartphones, by the way, this was the first handheld company. They, they made smartphones a different way. They were kind of before their time. They would grab like a uh, Palm Pilot. It was Palm Pilot um, people. I don't know if you guys know about that, but you would attach a phone like attachment to this hand, like hand organizer and it became a phone. And if you wanted it to be a camera, you attached a, a camera module like on it and it became a camera. Like that's how, how. Oh my God. You know what that reminds me of randomly? Uh, the pencils? <laughs> Te recuerdas de esas, esas lapices? Like you would just like stack the pencil. Yeah, and whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? The I little do. plastic part with the lid? <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> Oh my God, I know exactly wow. what I always like those pencils, by the way. Me too. And then I always <laughs> lost like one of them. So it'd be like off. So I yeah. have to put like papel adentro. <laughs> oh my God, you're so oh smart. I didn't even think about putting paper in there. Some pencil kit. You know, it's Latinos resourceful. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out a way. <laughs> so I, right? And then, so I ended up with this smartphone company before the Apple and uh, eventually, like uh, two years after it, it went under and Apple kind of, you know, went up or whatever. But when I was let go of that company, a bunch of people were let go. I was pregnant five months. I was pregnant and I'm like, I can't go find a job. So uh, I ended up, I got a little package of a little like severance package. And then my unemployment kicked in and I had a baby and I was I, I had this baby and then a, my manager from that, that company says, Hey, there's this job at Adobe working in education, doing blah, blah, blah. You know, can, you, would you like it? It's only a three month gig. And I'm like, yeah, I need a job. I need my unemployment to start again. And I've been there for mm -hmm. 15 years. Wow. I've been there for 15 years. So from that job, from that chance, from those three months, like, oh, I started meeting this person in that department, this person in that department. And uh, I, I ended up getting a, a full-time job after a while. But that's that's kind of the story. So a lot learned, right? It yeah. wasn't really planned and it wasn't really linear. 
I think it was just taking chances and just going for it and seeing what happened and maximizing whatever opportunity. And there's like a network component to it, right? So yeah, 15 years I just celebrated wow. this month. Whoop, whoop. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hair flip, what's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Girl, I, <laughs> I have so a question. Proud. I have a question for you. Yeah. Thinking of your story, just from what I've heard, I know my thoughts and and the way I feel, just like being in your presence and hearing the story and hearing all the trials and tribulations and successes and triumphs. But how do you feel thinking about your story desde desde niña in Mexico coming to the U.S. Going through middle school, high school, those 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 rough moments, those realizations, that those growing pains, yeah. to where you are now in life—not just Adobe, but like being married, having kids, and like where you are now. Like, how do you feel? <laughs> Man, I'm tired. No, <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> I need a nap after all of that. No, honestly, I feel really proud, and I didn't really—I had never really sat and just thought about like everything that had happened because you know sometimes we just think about what we've done last year or the year before we never really kind of go back right so mm -hmm. if you kind of add it all up you're like man did I do all of that did I get through all of that and you're like hell yeah I did hell yeah I did and it also sometimes takes other people to realize you know help you realize it like I didn't think it was a big deal I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm like, this is just how you do. Just like we were talking about being in you know, poverty. Like, that's just what we do. Mm -hmm. Right. I thought it was, this is kind of how things were done. And it wasn't until like that talk and I started talking to other people and people who are very you know, educated and have different backgrounds that they're like, this, this is a pretty big deal. And I'm like, you know what? We need to keep talking about these stories so people realize you can, you know, be in poverty. You can, you know, overcome. You can come from Mediterranean, from wherever. You can, you know, mm -hmm. cross borders. You can feel less than, and you can still be okay. Oh, right. Un abrazo enorme. <laughs> no, girl, that just, yeah, I mean, hearing your story, and this is what I, this is why I love the podcast. This is why I love how many people have been on here, how many different stories, countries, cultures are presented because you realize. Yep. You realize <laughs> that. So so now, <laughs> yeah. He just came in. <laughs> I don't know what he said. I'm like, shh. Don't, yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about that. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. But seriously, I feel really, really proud. And now that, you know, I have two girls and they're going to go out there in the world very soon. And I want them to feel unstoppable. I want everybody to feel unstoppable mm -hmm. because if little Omarta from a grass shack with dirt floors and everything can overcome all of this without much direction, right? Um, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. And also I, I do want to point out that along the way, along my story, there's been a lot of, I call them believers, you know, that man that I'm talking to later, you know, looked nothing like me. You know, he gave me my first shot at, at tech. That beautiful woman with the blue eyes and the blonde hair and the pearls, you know, when I was 14, she said, come over here and, you know, type this and answer these phones, you know, showed me a different world. She looked nothing like me. Mm -hmm. You know, people around me, you know, all these people around me who have given me opportunities, we probably have nothing in common, mm -hmm. right? Um, but now that now that we're there, you know, like Latinos are like in tech and everything. Of course, they look nothing like me. They were not there. Mm -hmm. Their Latinos were not in tech. But now that we're there, I'm like, well, look, I'm there too. So if you can see yourself in me, boom, it just makes it real. It just makes it real. So anyways, appreciate 
get help from different people who don't look like you, who have different backgrounds, you'd be so amazed as to what kind of beauty can come out of it. And if it comes from a place of, of, of good and of heart, mm-hmm. boom, you're freaking golden. Mm. Boom. I want to, <laughs> boom, mic drop, <laughs> mic drop, bye. <laughs> I I do want to point that out though. I think it's really important that you said that because it it shows that there are people out there who do want to see you succeed despite their color of their skin, despite their culture, despite if they have anything in common with you. There's some people out there who really truly just believe in you and they see something in you and they actually care enough about you to tell you to help you get to wherever they think that you can go. And there's people like that all along the way. I've had that with everyone, like with so many different people in my life. And I I don't take that for granted at all, you know? So I think that's a really important thing to say. And I also want to point something else out. Along your story, someone told you, what are you going to do? You've been working here since you were 14. And you said, don't worry, I'm going to, I'll be okay. And to me, and you are, (laughs) but to me, that, that to me is hella Latino. Truly, you know why though? Because I feel like that had been my parents' life, their whole life, their whole immigrant life, their whole life in Honduras to their life here. They didn't know it was going to happen. They were just like, I'm going to be okay. And they held on to that and they are, you know? And so I I feel like that gives us resilience. That gives us just so innate, so innate in us. I I feel that so deeply or I'm like, I can make a decision. Obviously, I want to make a smart, well-thought-out decision. But whatever decision I make, I know I have the resilience, the resourcefulness, the creativity that my parents innately have in them. I have that too. They passed down that superpower, and I'm going to be okay. And I I, I just wanted to point that out because it resonated with me so, so much. I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah, and you know, now that's so. Thank you, Odalis. That that definitely is. I didn't even think about it, you know, like that as growing up. But now that you're saying it, anything, I think if we have that attitude about anything, we're going to be okay. Irrelevant. Am I? You might not even know what's going to happen, but if it feels good, and you know, in your mm-hmm. heart, I'm a, bad, I'm a badass. I'm going to get through this one way or another. Cause that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you feel unstoppable. Like put on a cape, girl, and you can fly. Like it, it, it just feels that good. So once you're okay with the worst possible case scenario, that's it. You, you will be unstoppable. Now it took me four decades to do that. So you're a lot younger than me. So if you're realizing it now at your age, Odalis, and anybody who's listening, if you're, <laughs> first of all, it's never too late. That's what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're realizing that early on, oh my God, the sky's the limit. You guys are going to be amazing. I can't wait to see your future. It's it's so exciting for me. It's so no, exciting for me. No. Well, I know we're <laughs> almost at the end of our podcast, of our conversation, of our chismecito. But Excellent. I want to ask you two last questions. One is how can people connect with you if they want to look at your stuff, if they want to follow you, if they want to connect with yeah. you, hablar contigo, be your best friend? Yeah. How do they connect with you? All of it. All of it. All of it. Yeah. Just connect with Martha at gmail.com or just, you know, get on LinkedIn and, and ping me there. Um, yeah. I'd love to. Anybody I can help. It's, that's what it's all about. We should help yes, each other. Paying it forward. Paying it forward. We need more people like you. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's all about others. It's all about others. Yes. And then the last thing is un brindis con nuestro cafecito. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know your fancy Starbucks. My fancy Starbucks. Oh, my God. 
Oh my god, this is different. I actually got a matcha because I'm like, you know what? I can make a fair at home. I need to get a matcha. <laughs> matcha. Ooh, even fancier. Hey, you told me before we go that you sang and we said we were gonna sing. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Oh my you that's that's how we connected because I used to be fun fact in the mariachi group. I sang background what? vocals. Hey, what's up? <laughs> and I played violin. Not great, but I played it. What? Yeah, I didn't know that but about like, you. listen, you know, I don't know how to play it now. It's just so sad. <laughs> I feel like I was so talented when I was younger. I'm like, I played piano, I played violin, and then I like se me olvido. <laughs> and then life happened. But yeah, I and used then I'm to. Like, oh, I'm like, hey, I, I read that. I'm like, you're a mariachi girl. Oh my god, we gotta sing together. Which like, is so I'm funny because like... I'm not Mexican, but I love, I love it. <laughs> And there's actually, hey. okay, I don't know if you watched this novella. This is actually funny because he married a Colombian man. Did you watch Hija del Mariachi? That I novella? Did not. <gasps> no. You, have to add that. you have to rewatch it because it's one of my favorite novellas, one of my favorite Colombian actresses, but it's a Colombian woman who, in, in Colombia, they have a mariachi group, like una bodega type of thing. Mm-hmm. Una bodega. Bueno, como un bar, I guess. I don't know. But they yeah. have, like, they sing mariachi. And it's a Colombian group. And so this Mexican guy who's like escaping Mexico, it's like a whole novella, right? So he like escapes Mexico. He goes to Bogota, I think. I think it's Bogota. And he finds this this like bar and he sees mariachi. He's like, am I in Mexico? He was like, what's going on? (laughs) And then he falls in love with the mariachi and then he joins the mariachi. It's a whole thing. But it's so cute because Mexico y Colombia. So... Oh, hey, so little known fact about, you know, Colombians, they love mariachi. They love mariachi. When I went to Colombia for the first time, my husband got me a mariachi. That was really sweet. He got oh. me a mariachi. And I'm like, dude, these guys are Colombian and they're singing like, you know, Volver, Volver and all these songs. And I was like, what? And it turns out mariachis were everywhere, actually a lot more than in the United States. So um, I was actually pretty kind of shocked about that. So that oh, was a big no I thought it was just uh-huh. a novella. <laughs> no, no. Si vas allá, you will find mariachis, dan serenatas. Like they, they're very proud of that. Like yeah. the whole Mexican culture is is big there. So, uh, anyways, so that that was uh, that was watch amazing. That then. Now that you now that you told me that, now I really want you to watch it. Yeah, but it was so funny because they would fight. Like the main characters would fight with each other through mariachi songs. So she'd be like, "Rata de los patas." <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So, como la flor, tu tanto amor. So, oh, we can do this. Not, no, you're going to sing. No, you're going <laughs> to Background vocals. Remember, I'm background vocals. Oh, my God. You're so funny. But anyways, I, I love all of this. So, Dalis, thank you so much for uh, for having me. This, oh, this just fuels you. me my soul so thank oh, you oh you feel it you're filling my cup i hope you know like my whole mi corazón está como llenísimo so thank you oh so sweet so, so let's well, close oh you too girl i i'm inspired <laughs> by people like you honestly seeing latinas and seeing hearing their stories latinas who come from all ages like anyone i'm inspired by them and i try to follow it in their footsteps and also create the path that you guys created and paved for us like really like it was it was people like you who paved the way so gracias who knew who knew that's what we were doing who knew you were just living life (laughs) with my hair yeah (laughs) with your curls and your neon colors and your neon colors and your bangs like a badass (laughs) 
That's but, right. But now I smile. Now I smile. Now, now you're smiling. Pura risa, pura risa. But oh let's close with the brindis with our cafecito, virtual cheers, and let's manifest some good for our Latino community. And I want to give you an opportunity to say what you want to cheers to and what you want to manifest for, for us Latinos. I just want everybody, so thank you, uh, Brindis, Salud. Uh, I want everybody to just follow what their gut is telling them to follow. If you have that like little gut feeling in you that wants to do it, just do it. And um, Latinos, don't be afraid to, to go out there and do scary things. You might be surprised that the other side of scared can be amazing, can be amazing. And do it by being yourself. Always do it by being yourself. Salud, salud, salud. Here's to that. Salud. Y volver, volver, volver. Gracias, Adalis. Encore, encore. Now I know from that conversation, you're probably feeling like me and feeling like you need a Martha in your life and you want her to be your best friend. <laughs> Big shout out to Martha. Muchas gracias, mamá, for being on this platform, for always being a supporter, for always sharing your story in the most authentic and vulnerable way possible. If y'all want to connect with Martha, connect with her on LinkedIn. Trust me, you need a little Martha content on your feed. And that is all from me. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme, more Hello Latino Love. There's a lot of amazing episodes coming up, so I cannot wait to share these stories with you. Connect with me on IG in the meantime at ojasmine with four A's, Twitter at Jasmine, and find me on LinkedIn. And check out my website too, olalisjasmine.com for some merch, some Cafecito and Chisme mugs. Pero con mucho amor, tu amiga Andureña. And stick around to hear from my sponsor and partner, Chris Gates, co-founder of Rise On. Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, RiseOn. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, RiseOn is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, RiseOn is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. 
That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on. Thank you.